Because if I don't, I'm going to be joining you sleeping in your chair. <laughs> so I want to talk to you this morning about something the Lord put in my heart many, many years ago. And it's on understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. Understanding how the Holy Spirit functions and operates within our life. Um, it's not a message that I've spoken often, probably more so lately. Uh, a couple of times I shared in our, some of it in our home fellowship or home connect group about uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, before that, it had really been years since I've really shared it in depth. Uh, every once in a while, you'll see a, a, I wear a shirt. It's getting older and faded now. This is about 13, 14 years ago. I shared this in our, in our home fellowship at the time, um, this, this message on the breath of God. And uh, when I shared it in that meeting, uh, there was a Baptist brother there. And what I shared so dramatically impacted and changed his life as it relates to the Holy Spirit that he made me a shirt. And that shirt says, Got Ruach with a question mark. So if you don't know what Ruach is, I've had many people look at that and say, what do you mean, got roach? What is that, you know? <laughs> so, no, Ruach. And it's allowed, it's allowed many conversations to be had where, you know, whether it's witnessing or just testifying the goodness of God. So I pray this morning that this message will impact your life. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me quickly, if you can. We're going to start with John 17, 17. We can go there. And it's going to take a bit to get to it. This is just basically laying a foundation. There's some things I'm just going to read for the sake of time. Is that all right? But I need you to listen. I need you to hear. The scripture places a lot of importance and emphasis on hearing. Amen? Amen. The scripture says, if any man has an ear to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Everybody say, let him hear. Let him hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Jesus says something very profound in John 17, 17. Do we have that? Are we able to get that up? All right. Jesus praying in John 17 says to the Father, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Any questions? Sanctify them. The word sanctify in its simplest meaning literally means to cut. That's that's the fullest meaning that we have. From that, we derive the idea of cutting, severing, setting apart. If you put it together, even Jesus prays, either post this or just previous to them, previous to this, he said, I, speaking of himself, he said, I sanctify myself for their sakes. What does that mean? We equate it simply to holiness or living a more pure, pure life. And if it's in context, it means that. But to sanctify literally means to set one apart, to set them apart. And if you put it all together, it is to set one apart for the exclusive use of God. Right. Whew, come on, somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. So Jesus says, 
Father, I sanctify myself. In other words, I set myself apart exclusively for your use. Now, Father, they need the same thing. So set themselves apart for your exclusive use for, by the truth. And your word is truth. See, when you read the word, when you study the word, you're not just amassing knowledge. But there is a work that is going on that begins to separate you. Hello, somebody. But that does begin to purify, begins to cut things away. Hello? So that you become exclusively set apart for the use of God. Amen? If you're called into the ministry and you do not apply yourself to the Word, you have no ministry. True? So Jesus says, Father, set them apart. Set them apart. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Now, from that premise, I want us to deal with a few other things. I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Everybody say Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, he is referred to as the Ruach Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, empty, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved. Your version may say hovered. It's actually deeper than all of that. Moved upon the face of the deep. Amen? And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. The next thing, verse 3, says, And God said, Let there be light. Now, he's not talking about sun, moon, and stars. Those aren't created until the fourth day. He's not talking about natural luminaries. Who, who are, what or who is he speaking of? When he said, let there be light, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. And the same was in the beginning with God. There was nothing made that was made without him. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it, or the darkness does not overtake it. Hello, somebody, amen? That's Jesus, the embodied, expressed, fully expressed word of God. There are two definitions that you'll find when it comes to the Word of God principally. And that is, especially in the New Testament, Logos and Rhema. Logos, and we'll touch on this again in a moment. Logos is that which God said and was recorded. When you hold the Bible in your hand, that is Logos. Then there is the word Rhema. The word Rhema is what God is now speaking. What he's speaking now. That is rhema. So Paul says that when it comes to preaching the gospel, that it is necessary to have faith in order to believe, but faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the rhema of God. The importance of that is this. How many of you, before you got saved, heard the Logos many times, but it didn't change you? Altar calls were given. John 3.16 was preached. 
You didn't budge. But one day, same scripture. Oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Same message. Something else was mixed in with the Logos that brought the Logos alive. And what was written now became a now word. Amen. And faith rose up in your heart and you believed what was spoken and you responded. I know I'm anointed now because spit's flying. <laughs> Amen. Whew. What does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Everything. Everything. And I may say it again later, but the Apostle Paul said, God has made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of because the letter kills. But the Spirit gives life. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Everybody say that with me. The Spirit gives life. It quickens. It makes alive. Whew. Amen. So the Holy Spirit is here present today not to affirm me, not to affirm any man, but He is here to affirm and confirm the Word of God and make that which is written, that which is even recorded, if you will, make that come alive where it is a now word in you. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. How many of you give me 10 minutes? Any hands? All right. Most of you all know what I'm going to do. 10, 20, 30, 40, I've got you, right? I do that all the time, but it works, right? Coming up on Pentecost. Listen, God didn't pour out His Spirit to just make us feel good, do a little shouting, hello. There's something powerful to that. It was a couple of weeks ago I was sharing this, and, and this phrase hit me, and I said something to Brother Mark Van Diemen, who we've been laboring together with for many, many years, since 1998, actually. Amen. And uh, speaking on this, and, it, and, it, and I began to speak on the breath of God, and all of a sudden in that came this phrase I'd never heard before, and I said, I think I'm going to write a book. And I've been threatened to write threatening to write many books over the years I've just been kind of fearful because it's like what if you write it and then later on you realize that was stupid you know yeah it's hard to kind of take it back it's out there in print you know it's like I want to wait till I think I know that I know that I know hello but this phrase came to me speaking on this what we're going to get into is how the breath of God affects you. And in the New Testament, we'll read this, that that is why they begin to speak in tongues. And so I'm going to talk to you in a little bit about the technology of tongues. Wow, that hit me. And I was like, I don't know if that's legit or not, but it sure sounds good. I said, I think I'm going to write a book. and Maybe that's a chapter or a title. I don't know, the technology of tongues. Why is that? Because we have so many, so many in the church world who, number one, are taught against it. How in the world you can say it's of the devil, I do not know. 
Same churches teach that, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, are passe. They, they've ceased to exist with the death of the apostles. And yet they will be the very ones that will tell you, the Word of God is our compass. The Word of God is what we build our foundation upon. And I'm like, well, then where did you get that? Hello? So anyway, I'll get off that. Genesis 2, he said, and the Spirit of God moved. Everybody say, Spirit of God. Spirit of God, Spirit of God in the Hebrew is the Ruach Elohim. The Ruach Elohim moved or hovered. That word in and of itself is, doesn't even begin to express moved or hovered what actually took place there. The word moved there, or you get hovered, literally means, if you read it in the Hebrew, it speaks of something flowing softly down upon. But it not only speaks of an action, but it intertwines the feeling that was associated with it. So in the Hebrew, what happens is, is that the Ruach Elohim literally means the breath of God. We'll get into this a little bit more. The breath of God, the Spirit of God, the wind, the breath of God, and more specifically, the throaty breath, the breath that's in the mouth, the breath of God flowed softly down, moving upon this empty creation with tenderness and love. Wow. Which is exactly what happens to you, what happened to you when you responded to God and gave your life to Him. It was the breath of God, the Spirit of God came and hovered over you and you experienced the love of God. Come on, amen somebody. And you opened yourself up and yielded to that and responded. Can I hear an amen? amen. This is what I'm speaking about, alright? So we'll get to that more in detail in just a few moments. Now, when we speak of God, I want to talk to you about God's heart. And how, what, what does He want with you? What, you know, what, is, what is His desire? God wants relationship. Amen? And God wants fellowship. True? But the idea of fellowship, and we're going to look at koinonia here in a minute, implies this. Fellowship. Fellow being of, of like interest. You cannot have fellowship with someone that there is nothing in common with. Whoa. And outside of Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that you have in common with God. Hello? So when you become born of the Spirit, doesn't mean you just got a ticket to heaven. God is birthing. He is bringing you into a place where you are able to enter into like interest and in fellowship with Him. Wow, come on, somebody, amen. And a part of that, a very important part of that, is the language that you speak. All right. The principal means or way by which God has relationship with us, fellowship with us, in which we are brought into a place where we have like interest with God, no longer led by our carnal nature. Hello, somebody. But 
fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia, intimate fellowship. Literally means this, intimate communication. Intimate communication. Now, husbands and wives, wives understand this more than men do. Hello? I'm surveying the crowd to make sure that everybody's above 20 here, you know. Come on. Men are prone to one mode. But intimacy to a woman, by and large, is talk to me. Help me, ladies, are you going to be in trouble? Hello? Right? Why is that? Because talking to you allows me to get to know you and you to get to know me. Hello? So God, His desire to relationship with you, to have fellowship with you, is not just about giving you a good feeling. Come on. And sad to say, that happens a lot in charismatic churches. God wants you to hear what He has to say. And He wants you by the Spirit to speak to Him. Another, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, another important factor for tongues, unknown tongues. The Apostle Paul said, correct me if I'm wrong, Brother Roy, when a man or a person speaks in an unknown tongue, he does not speak unto men, but he speaks unto God. Woo! Come on, somebody, amen. Good stuff. He's speaking. He is in intimate fellowship, truly koinonia. He is in intimate communication with the Father. How is that? Because he is speaking the same language as the Father. He is speaking the language of the Spirit. Amen. Everybody say word. Amen. <laughs> intimate communication on the same level you've ever if you ever had to try if you ever tried to have communication with someone that you're like i, I have no idea what they're talking about yes. right <laughs> not right now right <laughs> right you ever try to have a conversation with someone and you're like, these people are too brick shy of a load, you know? I mean, there's just, there is no ability to identify with him whatsoever. You're like, I, I, I don't have a clue what they're talking about. Then there is no ability to truly have fellowship with that person. There is no ability to truly enter into meaningful communication. You can have superficial communication with anyone, but God is not a God who, who, men, or who relates in that superficial, superficial level. That's why Jesus said, these people do worship me with their mouths, but their is far from me. All right. Amen. Amen. Praise God. 
These two principal things are that by which God has a relationship with you and I. Number one, His Word. Everybody say His Word. And His Word is truth. Amen. And it is not logos only, but rhema as well. It's not just what God has said, but it is what God is saying. That's the power of the gift of prophecy. It is God speaking in the now. Amen? Hallelujah. So it is not just reading what reading the you know, words on the pages of a book, but it is also hearing what God is speaking in the now and valuing what He says, what He said, and what He is saying. And the other element is by the Holy Spirit. Those two things, by His Word and by His Spirit. By it, say that with me, by His Word and by His Spirit. And beloved, those two are inseparable. There, you cannot separate the two. If you separate the, the influence and the working of the Holy Spirit from the preached Word of God, all you got is a man moving his lips. That is subject to being influenced by doctrines of devils. Come on, amen. Because truth and truth alone comes only by the Spirit of truth. And He and He alone can only reveal the truth of what has been written. You can study yourself in your mind until you're blue in the face and you'll never come to the revelation of the Word of God until you engage the Holy Spirit who is your teacher. Amen. Amen. I even got off the first page yet. Praise God. I even wrote it in super big writing, but I still need these glasses. I hate getting older. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? I need new eyes. Hello. I'll receive that. Everybody say word and spirit. Now, worship is a key part of our relationship with God. Everybody say worship. Worship. What is worship? What is it? Worship comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word where we would understand it as being said as worth-ship. Or the Anglo-Saxon would be kind of like worth-ship. Yeah, <laughs> what I call you? <laughs> worth-sip. Worth-ship. Sip-sip. Worth-worth-sip. I am not Anglo-Saxon. I will speak English to you. Amen? Worship. That's where we get it from. What does that mean? It's two words combined. Worth. Everybody say worth. worth. And it's by no coincidence. I love how the Holy Spirit does this. He is worthy of it all. I mean, what was the principal word this morning in song? Worthy. Worthy. Wor oh, man, I'm about to shout. Worthy. Worthy. The Holy Spirit is setting you up for a word that he knew was going to be declared this morning. Worthy. Worthy. What does that mean? Worship is, is defining that which is, whom is worthy. Worthy of what? Ship means, or sipe means, the condition or quality of having value or worth. 
the condition or quality of having value or worth. In other words, to worship God means there is an expression of worth or value that you are conveying, that you are demonstrating, that you are offering, or that you are sacrificing to God. Amen. Tell somebody he is worthy. He is worthy. How do you do that? How do, you, how do you flow in that? I'll tell you, there's only one way you can worship God. Your worship is actually in response to who He is and what He's done. If you do not understand who He is and what He's done for you, you have no means by which to worship. Because you don't understand His value. You don't understand His worth. How is it that you begin to understand His value and His, His worth? Only when you begin to understand how much He values you. And as John said in 1 John, it's not that we loved him, but that he first, everybody say, he first loved us. When he, when I came to that revelation, Pastor Linda, of how much he loved me, worship began to flow out of me. I had a a measure by which, a means by which to measure that sense of worth and value of how far he went for me, of how much of a price he paid for me. Hello, somebody. And as the psalmist said, what now can I render unto God for all of his benefits for me and towards me? Amen. Now I've got a place from which to enter into a place of true fellowship and worship with God. And there's this beautiful thing that goes on. As I get revelation of how much He loves me, and I tell Him how much I thank Him, He just shows me how much more He loves me. And that's times that you sense that in a corporate body. It's not just the escalation of music that causes your voice to rise. There's a revelation that begins to take place on the inside of you. Woo! Amen. Some people say, why do they sing that same, that same line ten times? Listen, I grew up in the church where we sang out of the Red Book hymnal. I used to lead the choir. And say, open up your page, open up, turn in to your red book hymnals to page 277. And I'm not knocking that. I love the old hymns. But it became just as traditional. Hello. It, it became just ceremony. Hello. Did it not? And I was at a time where we've entered into a place where we transitioned into what we call contemporary worship. And we were ostracized and we were mocked. You know, we were called people who sang off the wall. Because at that time, we used overhead projectors. Some of you don't even know what an overhead projector is. <laughs> right? Right? And we put it on the wall because we didn't have screens. And you had these little plastic, what were they called those things? I can't even remember. And we, you know, put it up there. These people sing off the wall. Transparency sheets. Oh, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Amen. <laughs> This is a lesson for you younger people. <laughs> Everybody say word. word. And there goes my microphone. 
Praise God. That was good timing, actually. Amen. By the way, page 277 is I'm redeemed. <laughs> Check it out. You'll find it. Right? I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. And all to him I now resign. I have been, I have been redeemed. Methodist, Baptist, I'm redeemed <laughs> by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. And all to him I now resign. Still powerful words. I have been, I have been redeemed. Pentecostal version filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm redeemed by love divine. Oh, glory, glory, Christ is mine. And all to him I now resign. I have been, I have been redeemed. Come on, give the Lord a shout. Woo! <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Tell somebody, I am redeemed. Why? The Word of God says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Woo! <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! Everybody say worship. Worship is truly a part of our relationship with God. Worship is not what many in the church have made it to be or think that it is. Simply, songs only, giving, or doing. Worship can be expressed through these things. Hear what I'm saying. But that doesn't mean that singing is worship. Remember, these people do worship me with their... But their... Right? You can do things for God. 1 Corinthians 13 tells you, you can give your body to be burned. But if you have not love, it's nothing. It's a sounding brass, tinkling cymbal, right? And it's, it's, it's just not by coincidence that 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between 12 and 14 about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit brings. Come on, amen? Because the fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace. Come on, amen? So the Holy Spirit not only is a gift giver, but he develops within us the very character of God. Mm. Amen. Amen. But our worship, everybody say our worship, must be rooted in truth. And the word is truth. And it must be coupled with the spirit. Or, if you will, the life breath of God. Is this not what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24? Is that correct? Jesus said, the time has come and now is that the true worshipers will worship God in and truth. Listen to what he says. For God is spirit. 
And they that worship him, worship him, express value and worth, must do so in spirit, which is the word in the Greek pneuma, which is speaking of the Holy Spirit, in spirit, not little s, big s, in spirit and in truth. Your word is truth. Your worship, whatever that may look like, whatever form that may take, must be based on the Word of God. You can't sacrifice children. Come on. I know some of you want to. You can't, you can't sacrifice children and call it worship unto God. You can't, you can't, you know, do all kinds of ungodly things. You can't live in sin and say, well, I'm just worshiping God. You can't do that. Your worship must be founded, rooted in, built upon the Word, and at the same time must be intertwined with the Spirit of God. Amen. Is this all right? I'm closing. I'm really not. I'm just telling you that to give you a little hope. So <laughs> He's closing. Hold on a little longer. Hold on a little longer. <laughs> It's just the warning that I'm closing. How's that? <laughs> God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The word spirit there is pneuma, which also means breath, wind, spirit of God, Whew. breath of the nostrils, breath in the mouth. The Hebrew equivalent is ruach. And the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, the throaty breath of God moved. And God spoke. Everybody say Spirit and truth. Literally, Numa also identifies the Spirit of God, but it's, it's like God inhaling and exhaling. Now, listen to me. When we talk about the breath of God and God inhaling and exhaling, God is not dependent upon inhaling and exhaling in order to live. If that's the case, then he's dependent upon a source other than himself. And then he is no longer the almighty, all-sufficient one. You got that. But God does exhale. And what comes out of him is spirit and word. Amen? Well, what does he inhale? You know what, I'll tell you what, he said, what Paul said to the, I believe it was the Philippian church. You ready for this? He talked about their sacrificial giving, which is worship. Amen? That as they sacrificially gave, he said their giving came before God as a sweet smelling aroma perhaps maybe God exhales God releases his spirit into our life and as we respond in worship God says come on amen now that's communion Amen? That's not just us worshiping some big God way out there somewhere. This is an involved interaction. Amen? That as we receive of Him and we respond, He receives from us. And you get this thing. 
Come on, amen. Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. Everybody do this with me. Some historians, Jewish historians say that the very name Yahweh is the sound of breathing. His name is his breath. Oh my goodness, come on. It does. I mean, I heard somebody say that a long time ago. I'm like, yeah, it's silly. And then I started doing Jewish history and I read where this was kind of a common knowledge among Hebrew people or, or, or rabbis that Yahweh, which to them is very sacred and holy, is the sound of breath, the sound of breathing. Is this okay? Is this all right? All right. I'm still closing. I really am. God help me. Very quickly, I'm going to go through this. You ready? Everybody say spirit and truth. Everybody say this breath of God. Word of God. Mm. Amen. Job 32.8 says, But there is a spirit in man, which is the word ruach. It is the life breath of God. There is a spirit in man in the inspiration. This word is closely associated to ruach, but it is the Hebrew word neshama. That is the life breath of God that imparts wisdom, the mind of God, to humanity, from which we get our soul. So in Genesis, Genesis 2, it says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and God Breathe, the word is, in the Hebrew is nephah, which means to blow into the nostrils of man. God blew into the nostrils of this form the breath, neshema, of life, which is che. He breathed into him the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Or the Hebrew word is nefesh. All right? So God imparts his own, if you will, soul, his own mind, his own emotions into Adam. And Adam now becomes a living intellect, a living mind able to communicate with God on the same level. Hello, somebody. Amen. So they had fellowship out of that spirit that was breathed into Adam that came out of God. Now I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to share this. God said to Adam, of every tree of the garden, you shall freely eat. Right? But there's one tree you cannot eat. The tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you do, it's interesting that he said, just in case, or you might, if it happens, he said, in the day that you do, you shall surely die. Now, Adam did not die physically immediately when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Some have argued that point. Some have said, well, he didn't die. He lived another 900 and some odd years, 70-something years, right? But he did die. Because in Genesis chapter 3, 
you'll find that when they did sin, that you will read this, and I don't know if we have that. We have Genesis 3. That after they sinned, listen to what it says, and this is out of King James, and they heard. They had sinned. They saw that they were naked, and they hid themselves from God. And they heard. Everybody say heard. Heard. The sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, King James, or older translations say, and they heard the voice. Remember, when he was formed and when he was created, God blew into him. He became a living soul with the same mind and the same makeup as God. Don't think that's strange because the Bible tells you that we have now the mind of Christ. Come on, amen. So Adam is able once again to communicate with God on the same level because he has the same breath and life of God living within him. And at the same time, he has a physical life, which is the Hebrew word che. Are you following me? Now, they hear something in proximity or locationally they'd never heard before. Because when they fail, something happened. And what they did was what they heard or fellowshiped with God by, which was the voice of God in them, is now on the outside of them, calling back to them, where are you? Because I didn't go anywhere. Where did you go? Hello, somebody. And they hid themselves. And when God connected with them, Adam said, we heard your voice and we were afraid. We saw that we were naked and we hid ourselves. And God said, who told you that? Whose voice now have you been listening to? Listen to me, beloved. Don't ever exchange the voice of the Holy Spirit in you for another voice outside you. Come on, amen. The Bible says you have an unction from the Holy One. First John tells you that. You have received the anointing. You have an inner witness. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. The voice of God lives in you. Woo, amen. All right. Praise God. Hmm. I have four more pages, but I've got to stop. Is this all right? There's a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty gives him understanding. Speaking of spirit and truth, Paul writes to Timothy and says, All Scripture, all, all Scripture is given by, or inspired by, come on, is given by inspiration. Other versions say, is given, is God breathed. It is. It is breathed by God. Amen? And it is profitable for doctrine. Hello, somebody. Amen? It is profitable for doctrine. It is profitable for correction and instruction in righteousness. God wants to breathe back into His church. God wants to breathe again 
And many of us, hello? Now in short, Ruach is the throaty breath of God. It is the breath that is used to form speech, form words. That's why it's not by coincidence. God breathes. Everybody say, I didn't say, and he spoke. Immediately following was, let there be light. Now, he didn't say that in English. I believe he said it in what we call tongues. Unknown tongues. Because it's the language of God. Because when you speak in unknown tongues, you speak not unto men, but unto God. God released that. Released that upon creation. Right? He breathed the breath of life of himself into Adam. Adam became a living soul. Adam sinned. The spirit and the voice of God that was resident on the inside of Adam is now on the outside of him. And was until. Was until. When. The Bible says in the book of Acts, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly, just like that, suddenly, Now you're awake. Amen. <laughs> Suddenly there came a sound. A sound from heaven. He didn't say it was a rushing wind. He said as a mighty rushing wind. It's interesting that the Greek word for rushing means to proceed from the mouth. <laughs> Come on. They heard a sound as of a mighty rushing wind, pneuma, breath that proceeds from mouth. Whose mouth? God's mouth. Jesus said, I must go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter cannot come. But if I do go away, I will pray to the Father and He will send you another comforter in my name. And He will be with you. He will teach you. Come on, somebody say amen. And the breath that was with you on the outside of you will come back into you. And you will enter into a relationship where you hear the voice of God. And you can speak the voice of God. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. 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 Now the technology of tongues is this. The Bible says, and the Spirit of God in the book of Acts 2 gave them the utterance. And they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. It literally means the Spirit was pronouncing the words through them. If it is consistent with the old, and God is, He has a pattern by which He does everything. Then He breathed His breath in them, and as the throaty breath of God came over their vocal cords, the Spirit of God began to control their vocal cords and their mouth, and they began to speak in the language of heaven. Come on, somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. 
Hallelujah. Don't look at the baptism, the Holy Spirit as an option. Don't look at speaking in tongues as well. Maybe, maybe not. You need what God has to give you. In order to grow, in order to mature, in order to understand, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The breath of God living on the inside of you. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do it, Jesus. Do you not find it interesting that just before he left, he gathered in John chapter 20, Jesus gathered with his disciples and he said, Come on. Where the first Adam lost it, the second Adam regained it. Come on, amen. And he said, Receive the Holy Spirit, receive the breath of God. Come on, amen. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me to your feet? I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with this message? It's one thing to speak it, but how do you follow up? What do you, what do you want done? Well, listen, there's a prerequisite to being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that means you've got to be born of the Spirit. You've got to be born again. Jesus said in John chapter 